Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. I am so excited to share this bonus episode of Super Soul with you. I want to introduce you to Jamie Kern Lima, in case you don't already know her. She's starting her own podcast that's going to debut in February. I first met Jamie a few years ago, and today she's actually my next door neighbor, right across the fence, we share. Jamie started It Cosmetics in her living room with her husband, Paolo. And after years of rejections and companies telling her no over and over again, Jamie ultimately sold their company to L'Oreal for $1.2 billion. You heard that right. That's a billion with a B. Don't you want to know how she did that? Well, I hope you read her book, Worthy, that comes out on February 14th. It is so filled with inspiring, encouraging experiences that will be especially helpful to the young women in your life and to you even if you have trouble accepting your own success. Jamie and I sat down at her house on her show to talk about something that's been near and dear to my heart for over 40 years. We discussed all things, including the color purple. The new reimagined film is coming to theaters Christmas Day. So today, here's a full episode of me on the Jamie Kern Lima Show. Keep an eye out for the premiere this February on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh my God! I know how I know what that's like. Yeah, I know what that's like. Oh my gosh! You know that journey to believe you're actually worthy of something. This is your the fanciest welcome sign. You probably wow. Welcome, Oprah Winfrey. Come on in. You ready? Welcome, you Oprah ready? Winfrey. Can hold the door for you. Nice. <laughs> the entire time. Mm, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. We're prayed up, right? Prayed up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for Thank being you. here. We got a lot of purple up in here. It, it's transcendent. I mean, I just can't even believe this happened to me in this lifetime. That became my grounding teaching for the rest of my life and career. The greatest life lesson I have ever received. She's impacted and continues to impact hundreds of millions of lives daily. She's often called the most influential and powerful woman in the world, the queen of all media, titan, icon, living legend, the woman who raised multiple generations in their living room. She has been my mentor from afar my entire life, the one I dreamed my whole life of meeting and dared to pray and believe it would one day happen. And today I am so honored to say she's here, Miss Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to the Jamie Kern Lima Show. You have said nothing mattered to you more than the color purple than the color purple and for every woman who has felt unseen or unvalued this is her story well you saw that trailer i'm so glad mm. <laughs> mm. i feel that the color purple circle for me is um it, it, it's transcendent. I mean, I just can't even believe this happened to me in this lifetime. As you've heard me say, 
from the moment I read the book, July 1982. It was a Sunday. I got up, went back to the bookstore, bought multiple other books, gave them out. The moment I opened the book and the first lines are, Dear God, I'm 14 years old. I've always been a good girl. That's my story. Please explain what's happening to me. That's my story. And I could not believe that there are words on a page that are reflecting my story. Some, somebody knows my story at 14? I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. First of all, those of you who are listening, you just have to imagine a world in 1982. There are no black shows. There are no black images. There are no black role models. There are no black magazine covers. There are no, there's, no, there's nothing that reflects you in the world. You go to work and come and you never see a billboard or a bus, back of a bus, nothing that looks like you. I think maybe Good Times was on or something like that or All in the Family, uh, God bless Norman Lear. But you are not being reflected on a regular basis in your work, in any environment whatsoever. And so to pick up a book, which I loved books, the only other story I had read that had come close to reflecting me was My Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sing. And I read that at 15. So in 1982, when I read this, I was now 28 years old. And there is my story on a page. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to think. So that's why I went back to the bookstore and got all the other copies and passed them out to friends. And then I hear that there's going to be a movie and that whole process of how do I find a way to get in a movie? I don't know one single thing about movies or anybody in the movies. I then... Six months later, get a call saying Quincy Jones, who was at the time, uh, who had produced Thriller and was working on Billie Jean. Somebody was suing Michael Jackson for Billie Jean, saying that Billie Jean was not Michael Jackson's lover and whatever. And Quincy Jones was in uh, Chicago and happened to be coming out of the shower and saw me on AM Chicago. He had taken a red eye. Now, what would have happened had he not taken the red eye? Mm. What had happened if he had already spent the night and been in the room? I mean, so all those forces, I get a call saying, come and audition. I audition. I don't hear anything for two and a half months. When I call the the the, the casting agent, he says, real, real actresses have auditioned for this part. Do you know who just left my office? Alfred Woodard. Don't you call me. I'll call you. Ruben Cannon, who just the other day called and asked for tickets for the premiere. That same guy. Wow. <laughs> that same guy. Uh, uh, and didn't I get him tickets to the premiere? By the time I called to say, you know, have you heard anything after the the audition, I thought, okay, I didn't get it because I was overweight. And that's why I left and I went to this health retreat, which they were, at the time, they called them Fat Farms. It's not me calling it. And I was on the track trying to release the let, it, let me let it go because this is, I'm obsessed with it. And I started singing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Over and over and over and over and over again. I sang that song and prayed and cried. And... 
when I stop and say, okay, I can let it go. I hadn't let it go. I prayed and cried some more until I could bless Alfred Woodard with the role. Mm. Cause I know I thought there's no way I'm going to get it. He said, Alfred Woodard left his office. There's no way. And I wanted to be able to see the movie, but I want to be able to see the movie and not be upset that I didn't get it. So God helped me bless Alfred Woodard. And I cried and prayed some more. And in the moment I felt the release, the moment I felt the release, a woman comes running out and she says, there's a phone call for you. And that phone call from Steven Spielberg saying, I hear you're at a fat farm. If you lose, the, you lose a pound, you could lose a, this part. The fact that it happened in the instant, the instant I know I let it go, was the greatest life lesson I have ever received. Because I physically felt the release and I saw that the second I did that, it changed. Mm. The second I stopped resisting, the second I stopped wondering, the second I stopped putting myself in the fear space and said, it is well. Use me how you choose to use me. I thought this was the answer, but now I see it's not. I'm willing to be open to wherever you take me. The instant mm. I did that, I saw that woman. And so that became my grounding teaching for the rest of my life and career. Do everything you can, work as hard as you can, and then let it go. Mm. Give it to God. Give it to the universe. Let it be an offering. Do not resist. Do not resist. Do not push against it. Let it go. And that was the great teaching. That was the great teaching that ruled every decision going forward. Do what you have to do. Let it go. Do what you have to do. Let it go. No attachment. Have no attachment mm. to the outcome. And then when I lost track of that lesson, I got it again the hard way. I worked on Beloved for 10 years, was attached to the outcome, went into major depression afterwards. And why? Why did I go into depression? Because of my attachment. Not because the movie failed, because my attachment to it succeeding. Because the work was the work. I loved every minute of the work, the process of the work, everything that I offered. I still loved that. I wouldn't change a thing. When I was offered an opportunity to change it, I said, no, I'm not going to change it. They said, well, it's screening this way and people don't, I'm not going to change it. So what was I attached to? I was attached to it being something that I wanted it to be versus what it really was. And you talk about going through that depression after Beloved and having it shift your perspective uh, on now seeing things as making an offering. Yeah, because I had done Beloved, and so I was so depressed afterwards. I probably gained another 30 pounds after that because the morning that I heard that we had been beaten by the bride of Chucky, I didn't even know what Chucky was. Um, I was like, how could it be over? It's just a Saturday. They just opened yesterday, and they said, oh, no, 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 you've been beaten by Chucky. And so I, I... had macaroni and cheese for breakfast that morning and continued to eat my way into a stupor. And I just became numbed. And I remember feeling like, oh, this must be what I've heard people talk about depression is because I felt like I was behind a veil. Mm -hmm. I felt shame. I felt embarrassed. I felt that I'd spent 
uh, $80 million of the studio's money mm-hmm. and we weren't going to make the money back. I felt um, that I'd let uh, Toni Morrison down. Mm-hmm. I felt like I'd let all the actors down. I mean, it was just all of the things. And I remember thinking at the time, this was in 1998, that I don't even know who I can turn to. I interview therapists all the time, but I don't know who I could trust. I, you know, carry the celebrity thing. I don't know if I go to speak to somebody, they're going to go to a tabloid. If I go to talk, what's going to happen? And so um, I really just prayed my way through it. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to give myself 90 days. I'm going to give myself 90 days. First, I was going to give myself 30 days. Then I'm going to give myself 60 days. Then I'm going to give myself 90 days. And then somewhere in between that time, I said, 90 days, I'm I'm going to figure out a way to find somebody I can trust and go to somebody. And I was doing, I was in the audio booth doing tracks for, you know, all the promos that we do after every show. And somebody made a comment and I heard myself laugh. I went, Oh, I just laughed. Oh, something, something broke. Something broke. After I'd had a conversation with Gary Zugoff, who said to me, so what did you want? What was your intention? Mm. And I said, well, my intention was to create this film where people would witness what it meant to come through slavery and still be able to love, that they would see us as human beings and not just as enslaved people. He said, well, I felt that. And I said, well, Gary, I wanted more than you to feel it. He goes, well, who did you want to feel it? Because I felt that. And Linda felt that. And everybody I talked to, they felt that. I go, I think I wanted millions of people to feel it. And he goes, well, then you would have done a movie for millions of people. You didn't do a movie for millions of people. You did a movie for individuals to feel what they feel. And so that shifted the way I saw it. Being, back, being able to go back and look at my intention, what did you really want to do if you had to change the way you did this movie? When I did the movie Beloved, people were saying, well, is she a ghost or is she not a ghost? Is it Casper? Does she walk through walls? I wasn't going to make a character from a Nobel Prize winning book that was like Casper the ghost. I wasn't going to do that. So I wasn't willing to do what the public needed for it to be in order to receive it. So that is what allowed me to break through going back to what was your original intention? Mm. What was your original intention? Mm. And the thing that was shamed was my ego. Mm. The thing that was hurt was my ego. The thing that was embarrassed was my ego. But the thing that really wanted to do the work to create the art, I did that. Mm. Mm -hmm. I did that. When you shared that you've sort of released attachment and you just put things out as an offering. Yeah. Um, launching and the so show. I learned from that experience, back mm-hmm. to your question, I learned from that experience after Beloved, never do anything with the attachment to how people are going to receive it. Mm, yeah. Let the joy of doing it, which is what I've been saying to this cast for The Color Purple. Yes. Let the joy of making the movie, the phone call you got that said, you're Sophia, you're Seely you're going to be sugary, you're miss. Let the joy of the process of the work and putting the work out into the world be your reward. Mm. And however people receive it, that becomes the bonus. Mm -hmm. But the work and the art, you wouldn't change anything about that. Mm. You wouldn't change anything about that. Mm -hmm. And so now as we move into award season, 
it's fun. It's wonderful to be celebrated. It's wonderful for people to have acknowledgments about it. But the real joy mm-hmm. is in the offering. Mm. In the color purple, um, one of the the most powerful lines. Well, actually, let me ask you about Sophia first when you played it. Yeah. That line in the cornfield. Yeah. You told Harpo to beat me all my life. I had to fight. Mm-hmm. All my life I had to fight. I had to fight my uncles, my brothers. I never thought I had to fight. My, and I added my cousins because it was my cousin who raped mm. me. Uh, all my life I had to fight. And that line I did in the first take. Mm. And I did it from the space of knowing a girl child ain't safe in a world full of men, which is the the last line. Because a girl child ain't safe in a world full of men. And I know that to be so true. And um, that was that was a great day for me. That was really a great day for me. The best the best scene for me was uh, the dinner table scene, which takes a long time because you got all those actors at the table. But that's the day I actually became an actress, I think, because mm. I only had one line, and then the rest of it I ad libbed. I mean, the line was, "How you doing, Miss Sophia?" And she's supposed to nod and say, "Doing all right." And then Stephen said, "Tell us how you felt in the store when Miss Seeley came to see you." Mm-hmm. Tell us, and so I just started rocking and ad libbing and saying, "The day I seen you in that store, I know there was a God. Mm-hmm. I know there was a." So, I mean, let me just say this: the color purple, aside from the fact that it taught me to surrender in all of my work and life, and to live a surrendered to God existence. So imagine that when you see me walking you see a woman who surrendered her life to the higher power. So I'm stepping out on moonbeams and stars. I am literally walking in the light because I have lived a surrendered life. How the hell else do I get from Mississippi to Montecito as your next door neighbor? Mm. It just isn't possible without that. Mm. Okay. Mm. Uh, So it taught me that to live a surrendered life. Don't you dream the dream. Let God dream the dream for you, and you step into the dream. You ask God, what is the dream? What is your dream for me? Because I'm open to go where you lead. And so it led me here. Number two, watching Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones and Alice Walker every day, be in that creative, collaborative space. Everybody, the crew around, everybody feeling like family, working together to build something, towards something. I thought, I never want a job. I never want a job or to work for anybody again. I want this feeling. Mm -hmm. I want this thing that I'm feeling, that you're feeling with your crew here. I want this feeling every day. Mm -hmm. I never want to feel like that I want to always feel like even if I didn't get paid, I would be doing it. Mm -hmm. So I got $35,000 for doing the color purple. My lawyer said I could get you 50. And I said, please don't, please don't, please don't. I'd do it for nothing. Mm. And so I always wanted to feel like I'm working. I'm getting paid for it, but it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create that environment. That's number two. 
The most important thing that happened in terms of my financial advancement, I watched um, Danny Glover told me that it was the first time I'd ever been on a movie set. And he told me that he had uh, an agent, a lawyer, a manager, a publicist, and that 35% of his salary went to pay all those people. I said, don't want to do that. Mm. I don't want that. I'm not giving up 35%. You're already giving up 40% to the, to, to the IRS. I don't want that. So that taught me that's not a model I want for myself. I had to give up my entire contract's vacation in order to do the film. So I had a contract for three years. Uh, my first year, I was only getting two weeks of vacation. The, the movie required me to be on set for two months. The only way I could negotiate to continue to do the movie, because my bosses at ABC at the time, at AM Chicago, were like, you better get your ass back here. And I said, I will give up my entire vacation for the entire contract. I will never take another vacation if you let me finish this movie. Mm. And at the end of that deal, my uh, attorney said, you never want to be in that position again. And I said, I never want to be in that position. I don't want to be in that position again. And I had gone to, for audition, for the final audition, to Universal Studios, and I met with Steven Spielberg. He's the one that told me that I had the part. He has a company called Amblin. He owned himself with Amblin Studios. Every movie you see, Steven Spielberg's, you see the Amblin, and you see the little boy, and you see the moon and the whole thing. It never occurred to me you could own yourself. Mm. It never even occurred to me a person could own themselves. Mm. That gave me the idea that I could own myself. Giving up three week, three years of my vacation said, I never want to be in that position again. And that is how I came to own myself. Wow. All woven through the, the color, color purple. purple. All woven through the color purple. So when I say it was the most life-changing thing that ever happened to me, it, it defined it defined my career. How did it feel to go from getting that call and the track from Steven Spielberg yeah. to now co-producing it with? Well, I was so afraid during the whole movie. I mean, I didn't know how to act. I couldn't, I didn't know. I actually had books like Stanislavski's Method and all that yeah. in my hotel room, motel room, uh, trying to figure out how do you act? I, I knew instinctively that you needed to tell the truth. You needed to be the truth, but I couldn't figure out how do you act and also tell the truth at the same time? And there was a really critical scene where... Um, he had asked me to cry and I couldn't cry. And then I cried all night. And then Adolf Caesar, who played the old mister, came to my door because he was could hear me through the walls and said, God damn it, what's all this noise? And I said, Steven Spielberg asked me to cry and I couldn't cry. And I know that he's going to throw me off the movie because this is the second time. And um, he said, you have to learn to give yourself over to the character let the character take control. You stop fighting it. It's not you. You surrender, surrender, mm -hmm. which I got. Surrender to the character. Let the character take control. Mm -hmm. And if she wants to cry, she'll cry. And if she doesn't want to cry, not even steal Spielberg and make her cry. And that was my greatest acting lesson. And I was released after that day. And not quite as fearful of Steven, but he never really talked to me or really. And I remember filming the scene in town 
where she, uh, Sophia hits the mayor and is thrown into jail, taken off my coat, going to Stephen saying, I won't be here the next two days because I'm going to sign my contract for my talk show. And he says, what is that? And I said, oh, I'm going to be doing a talk show. He goes, like, radio or what is it? And I said, no, it's like real TV. And, um, you know, people say I'm going to be famous, but I don't know. It's, you know, going to be like Donahue, but only it's going to be me. And he said, okay, well, when will you be back? I'll be back on Monday. <laughs> but I went and signed the contract. My name was not on the poster because I wasn't, but I said, and I said to him, you know, I think people are saying I'm going to be famous, but you should probably put my name on the poster. He says, your name can't go on the poster. Mm. <coughs> name can't go on the poster. That's already negotiated. When Shug Avery says, uh, I think it pisses God off when people walk by the color, color purple. purple in a field and don't notice it. And don't notice it. Do you think it pisses God off when people walk by their own beauty and power and don't notice it? <clears throat> I don't know if God gets pissed, but I think it's a real disappointment. And I think... Although I don't think God actually gets disappointed. I think God just is. Mm -hmm. And that you just keep getting chances to get it right and to mm -hmm. do it better. Mm -hmm. I certainly think that the metaphor of not paying attention to the color purple because how complicated it is to make the color purple mm -hmm. and how intricate and how beautiful it is. And that all around you, you're surrounded by this beauty and intricacy in your own life in your own body, just what it takes, pushing air in and out of your lungs on a regular basis, and you not paying attention to that. I think it's, I think the universe, if the universe could be disappointed, would be disappointed. Mm. I think the universe, I mean, I was just thinking recently that it's human beings aren't doing such a good job right now. Mm -hmm. We as human beings are losing this battle of our own humanity. And it's really sad because you can see that it's lost to the egos. Mm. It's, it's all about this sense of living externally and thinking that your value is in something that is outside of yourself. Mm. So anyway, I, I, I feel, yes, it does piss God off. If you... The life lessons in Color Purple from forgiveness to... You know, everything, you know, is done to me, is already done to him. Well, everything you even try to do to me is already done to you. Well, that is, that is um, karma. That is the third law of motion in physics. That is the foundation for how I live my life. What you put out is going to come back. Mm. So y y you don't even have to worry about your enemies because whatever... Whatever they're thinking that's so mean spirit and so on, the energy of that is coming back to them all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. And you don't even have to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So that is that is the truth. Any everything you even try to do to me is already done to you. Everyone's seeing the color purple, who has seen it ahead of time. I mean, tears filling the whole theaters, 
all kinds of life lessons. And I just want to ask you this question for anyone who has not read the book, who mm. has not seen the original Color Purple. You don't have to do any of that. Yeah. Because the story itself will live and live beyond me and live beyond this generation and iteration of it. I mean, I, I, it was 40 years ago when I did it. Yeah. And I can't imagine what, you know, what I, what I say and strongly believe is that the lessons of the purple, of the color purple, of forgiveness, mostly finding your own identity, discovering yes. who you really are. That's what it's about. Discovering who you really are in connection with the life force that we call God, that Seeley calls God. And that is timeless. That is forever. Not even AI can change it. Mm-hmm. That the heart of knowing who you are and what you have to offer the world, because ultimately, coming back to worthy, what Seeley's discovery is a journey to worthiness. Yes. From the beginning to the end is she finds her worthiness. She finds her value. And that path of self-discovery, of self-realization, of coming into the grace and giving herself the graciousness um, to thrive and not just survive as a victim is what the story is all about. And that will endure forever. Mm. And I think going to be more needed than ever. I think, you know, technology and social media and all of the stuff and the things and the busyness of life cloud over how sad and lonely people really are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of deep loneliness and sadness and disconnection. And it's why your book, Worthy, is so valuable at this particular time because all the stuff that people are putting out there, mm. in the way that it's being put out, they can't feel the worthiness, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. Mm. Mm. You can see it. Yeah. Well, thank you for continuing to be a massive force for good in the world, for putting goodness out there. Um, Thank you for doing this show. Why did you say yes? How are you here? Your process for discernment is so clear, Mm -hmm. I think. And Well, why did I say yes to you? Yes. Um. I actually feel that it was somehow divinely ordered. I feel that from the first time that um, my assistant at the time, Amy Weinbloom, brought you back to see me, and I could feel your heart. I could feel your yearning, your desire. I could feel your... I remember the first time you told me that you wanted to have a talk show. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, do you even know what you're asking for with that? And when I look at the work that you're doing in the world, I think when you say you wanted to do a talk show, I think it's because obviously I've been a model for that and I've been a model for how you can do it really well. May I say, we did that thing. Um, But what you really want is a platform in order to speak to the world, to help the world to know itself better. And what in whatever form that shows itself. And so it happens to be now this form. At some point, it may be another form. But I can feel that. I can feel the truth of that, the 
the earnestness of that, the sincerity of that. And I wanted to support that. Thank you. And that is why I said yes. Thank you for seeing me. Mm. Thank you for believing in me. Yeah. Make sure to go and see the color purple and stay tuned for something so big coming in February with me and Oprah. I cannot wait to share. So make sure you subscribe and click the notification buttons so you're going to be the first to know. I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. And before you go, I want to share some words with you that couldn't be more true. You right now, exactly as you are, are enough and fully worthy. You are worthy of your greatest hopes, your wildest dreams, and all the unconditional love in the world. And it's an honor to welcome you to each episode of the Jamie Kern Lima Show. Here, I hope you'll come as you are and heal where you need, blossom what you choose, journey toward your calling, and stay as long as you'd like because you belong here. You are worthy, you are loved, you are love, and I love you. I thank you for listening to this bonus episode. And thank you, Jamie Kern Lima. The Jamie Kern Lima Show makes its debut in February 2024. You can watch it on YouTube and listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And get your tickets. Get the whole family tickets to the color purple. It's in theaters Christmas Day. Bye, everybody.